0: If you've got your Bibles with you, if you could turn to Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to read verses 14 to 21. If you've got a pew Bible uh, in front of you, it's page 1175. Ephesians 3 verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints Amen. Well, Ephesians three fourteen to twenty one in ten minutes. Well, the passage is full of rare and valuable spiritual gemstones. So we're not going to go for the full scale deep excavation tonight. You're going to have to wait until the autumn for that. So there's no pressure, Paul. Um, but tonight, what we're going to do is just have a quick glimpse by digging at the surface to see what this short passage says to us about prayer so that we can understand in advance of our prayer time what it's like to be a disciple of the Apostle Paul when it comes to prayer it's going to be nothing original tonight because others have used this same format so three very simple things to look at who are we praying to what are we praying for and why are we praying it so first of all who are we praying to In verse 14, Paul immediately mentions the name of the person that he's coming to, the name of the person that he expects to hear his prayers, and that is the Father. But this Father obviously holds a position of importance for Paul because have a look at Paul's posture. He's kneeling before the Father. Paul's posture reflects the understanding of a servant coming before a master. Or perhaps of a petitioner coming to a greater authority with a humble request. Such a posture may express some doubt in receiving a positive answer to his request. But towards the conclusion of these verses, Paul actually points us in a different direction. And as we pray tonight, subsequently to this short message, to that same father who is described by Paul as god and father of our lord jesus christ the question i want to put in front of us all is whether we will have the same expectations that paul had when he came to prayer verse 20 now to him the father who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine the father can answer our prayers beyond any degree of expectation we may have He can abundantly provide more than what we ask for he can even do more than what we can imagine those silent personal thoughts that we would never dare utter are you surprised by this well you shouldn't be because the whole way through this letter Paul has been describing how God lavishes his grace upon us How God bestows on us wonderful gifts from His eternal storehouses. So that should be our expectation as we come to the Father tonight, that He is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. But in light of that, what should we pray for? Well, I think the answer for us comes in verse 16. I pray that out of His glorious riches, note the phrase again, out of His riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. So, of all the things that Paul could pray for, what does he ask? That we be strengthened in our inner being by the power of the Spirit. Now, there's something implicit here, and something that we probably don't particularly like. But to be made strong implies that we have a weakness. In the previous chapter, Paul sets out what our weakness is. Spiritually, we're dead. We're a corpse. We have no life. We can't do anything within ourselves that makes us spiritually alive. But God has raised us up in Christ to be seated with him in the heavenly realms. That's actually quite powerful. Has anyone ever seen a corpse do anything? Perhaps we should ask her funeral directors here tonight. I suspect the answer would be a resounding no. But the spiritual corpses are raised to life by the power that has worked within us. But not only that, Paul goes further. He's described in, in the letter how the Ephesians were divided. Divided by religion. Jew and Gentile. Two groups that were divided by a barrier. And Paul reminds them of that division. But now... Christ has broken down that barrier and Paul is praying that the Father will work in the lives of each person in that church by the power of his Spirit. Do we have confidence in that power? Do we really believe that it works? Do we believe that when we come to the Father that he will answer such a prayer? Well, let's go back again to verse 20 where it says... He is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. That same power that brought us to life, that same power that raised Christ from the dead, that power is working within us. And that power can indeed make us strong in Christ. And that power will continue to work in the people of God to this day and beyond. So Paul is praying to the Father and he's asking that the church will be strengthened as a result of the power of the Spirit. But what's the point of praying for that? We always have a purpose in praying for something. So what's the point of praying for that? Well, the simple answer is that Christ's love may abound in our lives. Don't take my word for it. Let's look at the text again. Verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your heart's through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Verse 18. That the church may have the power to grasp the full extent of the love of Christ. Verse 19. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Paul is simply asking that as the Spirit of God works powerfully in our lives that this local church and us would experience more of Christ's love. Now these verses act as a bridge within the letter. Paul has already shown in the first two and a half chapters how Christ's love for us has been shown in his coming to this world, his dying and his resurrection. And as Christ has loved us, we respond with love for him. But it's impossible to see what someone's love for Christ is. You just can't touch it. But the next three chapters of the letter then describe how the love of Christ is is experienced in our actions towards each other. Chapter 4 starts with a reminder that we should bear one another in love. If you look around this congregation, we're no different from the Ephesians. There are lots of things that we could divide us male, female, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, skin colour, accent. There are lots of things for us to be the, that we could rely on to exaggerate our divisions. But Paul calls us all to be established in that same love. The power to overcome any division that we have is greater than what divides us our unity in Christ overcomes any division out of Christ or dare I say it even any disagreement in Christ the end result of this is in verse 19 that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God when was the last time you or I prayed those words that we would be strengthened by the Spirit so that we would all know the love of Christ more deeply in our lives and the fullness of God would be evident in our lives. But there's more. There's a crescendo to these verses in verse 21. How's God's glory displayed in the world? Paul's great doxology is to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations the ascended Christ is not on earth, he's in heaven but the church is on earth so how does the world outside Christ understand what the love of Christ really is it can only see it in the church throughout all the generations God's glory should be evident through the actions of the church despite all our faults and we are imperfect but that is how the love of God the love of Christ should be seen in the world today there's no other mechanism or organism for saying God's love and God's glory than through the church so it's quite easy to look around this room tonight and to spot the divisions to spot the things that we could maybe harbor grudges about but is it much more difficult to look around and see what unites us in Christ, his love. So how do we pray for one another? Let me make this personal. I'm very appreciative of all those who have prayed for some healing for my foot over the last few weeks. If that hadn't occurred, I wouldn't be standing here tonight. But can I ask you one thing? For those who prayed for some healing... Did you also pray that I would be made strong by the power of the Spirit so that my love for Christ would be deepened and the love of Christ would be exhibited in my actions towards you, my brothers and sisters in Christ? Can I also ask which prayer would have been more beneficial? Now, I know the answer to that question, and it wasn't the prayer for healing for my foot. And I suspect those types of prayers are the prayers that we should be uttering before our Heavenly Father for each of us. So look around. Please, do look around. Look at the faces of the people that you you might struggle to get on with. You might be different, you may not know. Do you pray for each other? Do you pray for each other that the power of the Spirit will be at work in our lives? As we think of these verses, may tonight be a turning point for all our prayers and how we consider one another when we come to the Father. As we come to the Father expecting him to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. As Paul said, we're going to come now to an open time of prayer.